love if I can just make it to heaven. Mm-hmm. That'll be good enough for me. Somebody that knows you're going to heaven, just give God a praise in here. Heaven! I ain't never been to Paris. In the spring of the fall, no, no, no. I never been to India, no, 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 no. Did it ties my heart, oh Lord. I've never been to Switzerland, no, no. See the winter games play. I've never been to New Orleans, oh. Carnival of Mardi Gras, yeah, yeah, oh. Never been to London on a foggy day. Never been to hear God play. All I want to do is make it to heaven. Heaven is the place where I wanna be. Talking about the streets are made of gold, where saints and Yeah. Well, 
joining us by stream. We praise God for you. We thank God that you're with us on this morning. Amen. And we pray that God is blessing you in your house right now in the name of Jesus. We're going to the words quickly. Amen. We've been sharing in this season and this time of the year. And this is the 2020, the final quarter. This is the final quarter of this year. And in this fourth quarter, we're expecting great things from God. We are yet expecting great things from God. Come on, say that with me and say, I am expecting great things from God. Come on, say it with me again. Say, I am expecting great things from God. Come on, say it this time like you mean it. Say, I am expecting great things from God. For those of you who are streaming, just put that in the comments at this time. Also, why don't you tag somebody else? Why don't you share this stream on your page or share it to a group that you're involved with? Let somebody else be attached to this word as it goes forth. Again, we're sharing from our series, The Final Quarter. 2020, the final quarter, we've been asking you each week to hashtag, we got this. Why don't you do that now? We got this. Because regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what you're suffering with, you're not going through it by yourself. God is yet with you. God is yet with me. So whatever we're facing, we are dealing with this together because God is with us. We got this. 
And this morning, I want to share from a, a pretty familiar passage of scripture. We're going to Numbers. And we're looking at Numbers chapter 13. And I'm going to read into your hearing just verses 30 through 33. Again, that's Numbers chapter 13. And we'll be focusing our reading on verses 30 through 33. The text and the story that we'll be sharing from today actually encompass, encompasses all of the beginning of Numbers, even from verse 1. But we're going to focus our reading on verses 30 through 33. In this series, we share, we've been talking about how we prepare for the fourth quarter. We've kind of analogized it to a team and how a team prepares for the final quarter. There are certain things that they do differently. And in this final quarter of the year, the 2020, if, if anything else, at the very least, we can say this year has been different. Amen. This year has been different. Kids say I'm built different. 2020 was built different. Amen. It's been a different type of year. And we have to approach it in a different type of manner. We have to tighten up the things that we're supposed to do. We need to be even closer to God. We have to closely evaluate who's on our team. We talked about that on last week. We asked the question, who do you trust? And during that time, you need to evaluate who's on your team, who is a part of the people you listen to, who is the part of the people you take advice from. And today we want, we're going to make it even more centrally focused. It's important to evaluate your team, but it's also important to evaluate yourself because before you can truly have a good picture of who's around you, you need to examine what's in you. And I, last week we asked the question, who do you trust? And today I'm going to ask the question, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? Numbers chapter 13, verse 30 reads, and Caleb steal the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it for we are well able to overcome it. But the man that went with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched until the children of Israel saying the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Asking the question, how do you see yourself? Heavenly Father, Lord, bless us in these few ministry moments, Lord. Cause our mind and our own thoughts, our own desires, our own aspirations Cause them to run headlong into your word. Course correct, Lord, the things that we desire and the things that we want and even the things that we pray for. Course corrected with your word. Lord, let us prepare for this destiny moment to be ready to adjust to the path that you desire for us. And whatever that path may be, Lord, let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, I ask the question, how do you see yourself. Now, in this particular in this particular story, we see the results of a report, a mission that the children of Israel, well, some of the men of Israel had been sent on. They'd been sent on a mission 
to go into the land and to find out what was going on in the land. What did the what was the landscape of the land? They were the spies. They were the surveyors. They were going to see if it were going to be possible and really rather not if, but how would it be possible to conquer the land that had been promised to them? Understand that. They are going to observe a land that had already been promised to them. Yes, it was occupied by other people, but I need you to always keep in your mind the promise. Don't lose sight of the promise. And that's what we as as Christians, we have to do. Each day we are confronted with turmoil. We are confronted with trials and tribulations. We're confronted with storms. But in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the turmoil, we cannot forget the promise of God's word. God's word is my promise. Say that with me. God's word is my promise. God, his promises are laid out in the word. So when God lays out the promises in the word, I might face conflict. I will face trial. The Bible says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that shall take you as though some strange thing has happened to you. The Bible says, put ye on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand ye therefore with the armor of God. The Bible reminds us that Jesus said, come unto me. He said, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He's saying if you want a a crown, you have to carry the cross. There are things that you're going to have to put down in order to receive what God has promised you. But don't allow the trial to distract you from the promise. Don't allow the trial to distract you from the promise. Let me put it this way. When you are driving along the road and a storm comes, when the storm comes, You shouldn't turn around and go back home. You shouldn't change your destination. When I when we go home today, we're we're in Shelbyville, we're going to Murfreesboro. We might encounter a storm, Elder King, but no matter how bad the storm is, I'm still going to Murfreesboro. I'm still headed to my destination. I'm not going to allow the storm to dictate to me my destination. And the problem is with some of us, we allow our trial and our storm to dictate to us our destination. We slow up. We change course. We stop. We lose momentum. We lose motivation to reach our goal just because we've encountered the storm. But when you're on a, when you're on a plane, the, 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 we know what the pilot's going to do. If the, if the storms come, the pilot's just said, well, let's go a little bit higher. Because we can't change our destination. We can change our approach, but we won't change our destination. I need to tell somebody today, don't change your destination. You need to change your approach. And the first thing that you need to adjust, they say attitude determines your altitude. Maybe you can't go higher to fly over the storm because you haven't adjusted and recalibrated your attitude. How are you approaching what you're dealing with? How are you dealing with the storm? Are you the type that you cry another day? Got to go to work again. Saying saying stuff that you know you don't mean. 
I, some, someday I, I just wish I didn't have a job. All right, keep talking. Keep talking. No, nobody, nobody helps me. Nobody likes me. Keep having that attitude. And each day will get worse than the day before. Because you to adjust, to recalibrate, if you're headed to the same destination, you have to adjust your altitude. But to adjust your altitude, you need to recalibrate and change your attitude. It starts on the inside. And I'm going to keep saying it until somebody gets you. Your greatest enemy looks at you in the mirror every day. Your greatest enemy, the person that has caused you the most heartache, looks at you in the mirror every day. The person that has caused you to fall and come up short the most in your life looks at you in the mirror. The person that is most responsible for you not reaching your goals, for you not reaching your dreams, looks at you in the mirror every day. And the sooner we get acquainted with that idea, the better we'll be prepared to fight against the flesh or the enemy that is in me. They say the enemy that's in me. It's in me. I have to fight against that flesh, that enemy that's on the inside. I have to adjust how I see myself. Why do I expect you to have a better view of me than I have for myself? I want you to think about that. Because many of us who seek outside validation are hoping for that very thing. We're hoping that somebody on the outside will see us better than we see ourselves. Why do you anticipate that somebody's going to have a better view of you than you do for yourself? Why do you expect people to treat you better than you treat yourself? Why do you expect people to talk to you better than you talk to yourself? Why do you expect people to have higher expectations for you than you have for yourself? This is biblical. I keep telling you. The Bible says love your neighbor as you love yourself. Can't love me until you love yourself. Can't love me until you love yourself. You need to know what love is. And that's why I said I posted it one time. That somebody who doesn't know what love is, if you're in a relationship, the person you're in a relationship is manipulating you. The reason they're manipulating you is because you don't know what love is. So you count on them to tell you what love is. And they're going to do it based on their own interests. If they want you to stay, they're going to say the things that make you want to stay. Come on now. They'll tell you love is staying with me and waking up and cooking me breakfast in the morning. Come on, come on. <laughs> love, love is paying the bills and letting me stay here rent free. That's what love is. Love is doing everything I ask you to do and smiling when you do it. Come on now. It sounds like manipulation, doesn't it? That's the same thing. It may not be on that same order. But when you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't know what love is, it's manipulative. Because they need to discover what love is for themselves. If you really want to be in a relationship with them, teach them what love is. Take them to church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Show them what love is through the eyes of God. 
Because ultimately the Bible says husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church. He's putting it in the context of how Jesus loves the church. You ought to show them what love is. And if you don't know what love is, you don't need to be in a relationship. You don't need to be in a relationship. Maybe you're not in a relationship now because since you don't know what love is, God's protecting you. He's protecting you from the predator. He's protecting you from the manipulator. He's protecting you from the person that would be abusive. And abuse doesn't just have to be physical. Abuse can be emotional and mental. And those, that's sometimes that's the hardest abuse to get over is that mental and emotional abuse. Maybe God is protecting you from that until you learn how to love yourself. You have to learn your, love yourself. You have to love yourself. You have to appreciate yourself. You ought to sometimes spoil yourself. Nobody, you by yourself, nobody, you don't have a valentine to send you flowers on valentine. Get on 1-800-Flowers and send yourself some flowers. Y'all, I'm serious. I'm not laughing, I'm serious. And when somebody say who they from, be like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Get out of my business. Don't worry about it. You have to learn to love yourself. Send yourself some cookies and on the car put just because. Somebody ask you who sent us. Don't worry about that. Get out of my business. Stay over there. You got to learn to love yourself. Go to the mall for Christmas and shop for yourself. <laughs> Come on now. I'm talking, about, I'm, talking, I'm talking about the single people. Why, why are you spoiling everybody else so you can't spoil yourself? I'm, talking, I'm teaching you to love yourself. When, when, you, when you get a man, you don't need to wait and get a makeover when you get a woman or a man. Get, your, get a makeover for yourself. Get your hair done and your nails done for yourself. Get a facial. See, men can get facials too. Go get a facial for yourself. You don't have to wait for a date to look good for yourself. Go find you a nice outfit and take yourself out to eat. I'm serious. Because you ought to learn how to love and appreciate yourself. You know why? Because if you learn how to love and appreciate yourself, when somebody comes along, you know how to treat them. You know what you like so you can transfer what you like onto somebody else. If you want good gifts for Christmas, you need to be friends with people who know how to shop for themselves. Come on, y'all. Come on now. Come on now. Because if they shop for themselves, they're going to know how to shop for you. Because you know you, everybody in here, you don't have to point at nobody. Everybody in here has gotten a gift you didn't know what to do with. You got a gift and you're like, what, what, what am I going to do with this? Well, y'all quiet. You must be sitting beside somebody. <laughs> You've gotten the gift. And you're like, what, 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 what do I do with this? I, 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 this, this does not match my personality. This is not something I do. I, I, I don't even know how to do it. You've looked at it and like, what, what, what is this? Some of them is still, some of those gifts are still sitting in a bag somewhere 
And you try to figure out who you're going to give it to. Y'all real quiet right there. <laughs> because it does not fit you. When you deal with people who know how to shop and spoil themselves, they also know how to spoil and shop for you. Because they show great appreciation and love for themselves. Amen. I don't have to go to the barber shop anymore, but when I did, I wanted to see what my barber's hairstyle looked like. Come on now. If one side's uneven and the other side got half a fade on one side, didn't finish the fade on the other side, got lines going to nowhere that don't match up with anything, I, I might need to find another barber. I want somebody who appreciates their own look because if they appreciate how they look, then they'll appreciate how I look. They know how to treat themselves. Therefore, they know how to treat me. So we need to learn to appreciate and love ourselves. Self-love is an important thing, even as a Christian, because when you learn, now don't get carried away and get so selfish that you don't share that love with others. But when you appreciate and love and spoil yourself, then you're in an excellent position to help somebody else because you know how you how it makes you feel. You know how it made you feel when you sent yourself flowers. And everybody at the office was like, who is that from? They got jealous. So then when you get you a little honey, you send them some flowers because you remember how that made you feel. You appreciated yourself so you knew how to appreciate somebody else. And I'm right here in the text. I know where I'm going. The, the, the men here, they went out to spy the land. But when they came back, the biggest thing that they shared with everybody else is how they saw themselves. You know what? They didn't spend as much time on the land. In fact, they were dismissive of it. If you read the text, it was like, oh, yeah, they're grapes, big old grapes. Takes two men. It takes two men to carry. Now, that's some heavy grapes right there. The grapes are so big and juicy. It takes two men to carry the groups of grapes. Yes, it flows with milk. Yes, it flows with honey. Yes, it flows with cattle. Yes, it flows with livestock. Yes, it has heels. Yes, it has water. Yes, it has everything that is necessary to sustain us. But. But. The men there are giants. In fact, it says, and I, I just can't, I can't, I can't accept this because I, I, I still, I have some, I, I trust God, but I also believe in science. It says all the men were, now there were some short men there. Come on now. Don't, don't tell me everybody there. No, that's just, that's, that's just not how it works. That's just, genetics don't work that way. It said all the men, follow me here. I'm in verse 32. It says, is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. All of them. All of them. Why did everybody look so big to them? I'll get back to you. But they said every single person we saw was a giant. They were bigger than we are. Well, what they said here, and this is the key to the passage in verse 33, it says, we saw giants, and we were, get this, in our own sight 
as grasshoppers. And so were we in their sight. We look like grasshoppers to ourselves. And we presume, because you don't know what other people are thinking, but we presume that they also saw us as grasshoppers. Do do you see the the depth of this mentality right here? Do, Do you see the pervasiveness of this mentality, how this impacts everything else about this text? I see myself as a grasshopper, and I presume everybody else around me there also saw me as a grasshopper. And that's how many of us, sometimes that mentality is so pervasive, it holds us back. Because it's not how, not only how we see ourselves, but it's how we assume other people see us. It's not just that we see ourselves as small and insignificant and powerless. The problem is that we presume that everybody else who sees us, sees us as small insignificant and powerless. And when, once you get that inside your mind, it's hard to accomplish anything. It's hard to be motivated to do anything that God is calling you to do. It's hard to face other people because when you see yourself as a grasshopper, when you see yourself as insignificant, when you see yourself as unimportant, then you begin to ask yourself questions that people with this mentality ask. They ask like Moses asked, who am I to go to Pharaoh? Who am I to enter the palace? Who am I to speak to Pharaoh and request him to let your people go? We have that mentality that who am I to do what God's asked me to do? Who am I to speak? Who am I to witness? Who am I to share God's word? Who am I to expect to get that job? Who am I to think I'm qualified enough to even apply? Who am I to go to school? Who am I to get better grades? Who am I to expect better from me or my family? Who am I? It becomes a mentality that cripples you. It becomes a mentality that does the thing that the devil wants you to do most is not try. He doesn't want you to try. He doesn't want you to get started because he knows if you start, he knows if you get started, he knows if you try, he knows that you'll recognize at some point that I'm not in this thing by myself, but that God is with me. But if he can get you to sit down and not try and feel insignificant and feel unimportant and feel not smart enough and feel like you weren't born into the right family to feel like you're too young or to feel like you're too old. To feel like you're not smart enough, that you're not educated enough, that you have too many children, that you don't have a husband, that you don't have a wife. To feel like, to even cause you to be trapped by what you used to do. Who am I? I I used to be involved in adultery. I used to be in fornication. I I, I was a liar. I was a smoker. I, I was a drinker. I was a drug addict. I was in prison. Who am I to discharge and do what God is asking me to do? Who am I? And that's all the devil needs to do is to to adopt this grasshopper mentality that I'm not important enough, that I'm not big enough, that I'm too insignificant, that I'm too unimportant. 
And if he can get you there, then you won't try. I told you the devil's greatest trick is to move you out of position. That's his greatest trick to move you out of position. Because if he moves you out of position, you won't get what God has coming to you. You won't receive what God desires for you. It's all about continuing to occupy the position where God placed you. There is favor in being in the right position. There's favor right there. If you stay in the right position. But see, what the devil wants you to do is move. You're not important enough to sit right there. You're not good enough to stay right there. And you know what happens? Then you move. And when you move, guess what? You miss the blessing. And then when you miss the blessing, you say, Lord, why has thou forsaken me? Why have you forgotten about me? Lord, why don't you love me? Lord, why am I always behind? Why am I always sick? Why am I always broke? Why can I never get ahead? Why do I never receive the blessing? All of that occurs when the devil fools you into moving out of position. You are important. You are somebody. You are intentional. You are God's purposeful plan. You are predestined for this moment. You are predestined for that position. You are predestined to do everything that God has called you to do. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loved you. Somebody say it with me. Say, I am somebody. I am somebody. I am somebody. I I need to adopt this into my mentality. I need to adopt this in my mind. Because enslavement begins in the mind. Begins in the mind. The devil can trap your mind. He got you. He doesn't care where your body goes. You can go to church every Sunday. It don't matter if he got your mind. You can go to church every Sunday. You can listen to T.D. Jakes on YouTube. You can go to Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen events. You can do all of that. But if he has your mind, he's not worried about your behind. Your behind can go everywhere, anywhere you want to go. But if he has your mind, he has you trapped. He has you trapped. Some people began to question how were African-Americans enslaved for so long? Why were they enslaved for so long? It was not just physical constraints. It was mental constraints. The mental constraints of knowing, first of all, for those who first came, they don't know the language. How can I communicate with somebody if I do escape? And then what was the greatest trick of the slave masters? They didn't want you to learn how to read. They didn't want you to get an education. So then if I do escape, I don't I don't know the language. I can't read anything. I don't have any education Then I still can't make better for myself. They entrap their minds. They entrap their mentalities. They were not just physically enslaved, but they were mentally and emotionally enslaved. To the point that if somebody said, let's run away, they'd ask the question, to where? Where are we running to? And why? Why would I run? The provisions that I have here are probably better than I'd have if I were by myself. 
enslaved to the point that even after the Civil War was won, many stayed on the plantation because that's all they knew. They didn't know anything better. They didn't know anything else. They didn't know how the system of the world works. Even to the point that they implanted that mentality in their children where they begin to only understand the world through the eyes of slavery. Through the eyes of slavery, only one person can get ahead. Only one person can live in the house. Only one person can be the master's favorite servant. So if only one person can do it, I I can't let him do it. I have to pull him down so I can get it. I have to pull others down so I can succeed. To the point that we've adopted that mentality where we can't celebrate somebody else's success because we think only one person can succeed. So if they got it, that means I can't have it. So for me to get it, I have to pull them down. I have to talk about them. I have to discredit their accomplishments. That is how the, the, the mentality, the, physic, the physicality changed. The ability to physically enslave has changed. But mental enslavement went on for generations. The same is the, of the incarcerated mind. The prisoner who goes to jail and he's so used to being in jail that he doesn't know what living on the outside looks like anymore. To the point of why, why should I even want to participate in my parole? Why do I even want to seek probation when everything that I know is in here? Because I, my, not only have I been physically enslaved, but my mind has also been enslaved. I'm asking you the question, how do you see yourself? The Israelites here said, we see ourselves as grasshoppers. So I know that's how they see us. And that's how that mindset works. Even the person with anxiety, the person with depression, you know, the hardest thing for them to do is to go out every day because when they go out, they feel their depression on the inside so much that they think other people see it. They think other people see them as depressed. They think other people see them as a person dealing with anxiety or emotional struggles. They are externalizing what they're feeling on the inside because they have a poor picture of themselves. And they transpose that mindset onto others. How does transposing work? I see myself as a grasshopper. Therefore, transposing, I think you see me as a grasshopper as well. How could you see me as something better than I see myself? Get that. How can you see me as something better than how I see myself? They felt that that life is out of reach. That there are so many things out there to accomplish, but they're out of reach because I'm a grasshopper. And that's how other people are going to see me. They can't see me for what I can do or who I am because I cannot even see that for myself. The thing about it is that what people see themselves in a certain manner. 
They cast themselves in a certain role, and that's how they live the rest of their lives. They cast themselves in a certain role, and they can't escape that role. Many child actors will tell you that because sometimes the the downside of being a child actor is that for the rest of their lives, people only see them in that initial role. They can't see them as anything else. So it's hard to get any other jobs because they've been cast in a role and and it's almost like the role has them trapped and they can't escape that role. And in my former life, yes, I was a sinner, but I'm not going to live out that role for the rest of my life. I am transitioning out of that role. Not always going to be a drug addict. I'm not always going to be a drunk. I'm not always going to be a philanderer. I'm not always going to be an adulterer. That's not how I'm going to continue. I'm not going to allow that role to define the rest of my life. Being broke is not a role that I play. Being broke is a trial that I'm moving through. Somebody say I'm, I'm not stuck here. It is a role. It's part of what I went through. It's not a role that I occupy. I'm not going to continue to be broke the rest of my life. I'm not going to allow my circumstances to dictate a role that I have to play for the remainder of my life. I refuse to allow that to happen because I'm more than somebody say I'm more than that. You're more than your circumstances. You're more than your trial. You're more than your storm. You're more than what you're going through, even if you're going through it right now. I'm more than that. More than my job. More than my financial situation. More than where I live. More than where I stay. More than what I drive. I'm more than that. Somebody yell out there with me. Say, I'm more than that. More than that. I refuse to, for you to, to pigeonhole me in this role and, and, and demand that I live that role the rest of my life. I'm more than that. And you have to believe it in your heart that I'm more than that. Because if you believe it, God will give you moments to prove it. God will give you moments to prove that there's more in you. So, somebody say there's more in me. God will give you, God will give you opportunities to prove that there's more in you. Look at David. David goes to deliver some lunch for his brothers. And while he's delivering lunch, he hears Goliath out there running his mouth. It's interesting because if you read the story, Goliath had actually been there for almost the better part of a month there in the Valley of Elah. He'd been there in the valley and the, the, the Philistines were on one side. The Israel, Israel was on the other side of the valley. And Goliath had the audacity to trot his big behind out in the middle of the valley. And he would taunt the Israelites day in and day out. He's like, who will send a member of your troop to fight me? And whoever is this man, if you are able to defeat me, then the Philistines will lay down our swords and surrender. But who is the man amongst you? He will come and face me. He did this for the better part of a month, and they just sat there afraid. Israelites, uh, you, know, you know how you used to do when you were a kid, and you tried to push somebody else out there? Like, you, you go out there. No, you go. Nobody wanted to go. They were all fearful. They were afraid. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. It was less about how Goliath saw them and more about 
how they saw themselves. And I came to tell somebody, no matter what circumstances you face, no matter what trial you have, somebody's going out on a job interview tomorrow. Let me tell you something. It's less about how they see you and more about how you see yourself. Somebody's applying for a loan. Baby, it's less about how they see you. And it's more about how you see yourself. You're looking for a husband and you're looking for a wife. You think that's in your future? Baby, stop worrying about how other people see you. It's less about how they see you. And it's more about how you see yourself. David goes out. David's not even old enough to be a member of the army. They often say David was short. David was a short somebody. That's why Jesse didn't call him in when Samuel was anointed. Jesse was saying, no, he's too short to be king. He's too short to be anointed. Said he's a good looking boy, but he's short. Too small to be king. Anybody ever underestimated you? (laughs) Anybody ever underestimated you? Ever thought that you were not capable of doing what the assignment was? Just even by your appearance, they looked at you. You're too black, you're too white, you're too old, you're too young. You haven't been educated long enough, you're too educated. You're underqualified, you're overqualified. They underestimated you based on a cursory glance of you or your accomplishments. And that's what they thought about David. David was too young, wasn't old enough to be in the army. He was too short. But then he walks out there at a seminal moment in his life. He walks out there. While Goliath was running his mouth, I need y'all to understand this is a moment because Goliath didn't do it all day. He would walk out there at a certain time, taunt the army. All of them were too scared to walk out, and then he'd go back to the camp. He didn't do it all day. But he's at the moment he's out there blaspheming God. Who is this God that will deliver you out of my hands? David hears them and he said, Now, who who is this uncircumcised Philistine that y'all letting run down my God? Why are you all letting him talk about my God like that? David wasn't supposed to be there. He's not a member of the army. He's too short. He's too young. He's just there to deliver lunch for his brothers. But while he's there in that moment, he ran smack into his destiny. God said, this is an opportunity to show you that there's more in you than you realize. And I came to tell somebody, you need to stand up. You need to be prepared. You need to be ready. Because God is going to give you a moment. God's going to give you a time. Your destiny is about to be, to be achieved. God's going to show you that there's more in you than anybody realizes is inside of you. Everybody else might be under, underestimating you, but it's not how they see you. It's how you see yourself. David said, I don't have a sword, I don't have a shield, I'm not a member of the army, but what we not going to do, what we, come on now, what we not going to do is let him sit there in the middle of the valley and keep talking and running his mouth about my God. We're not going to do that. Not today. What y'all say today? Today, not today. It's not happening. It's not happening. Point blank period, kids. Not happening. 
He keeps slapping his mouth and I'm going to slap him. So he said, now, what? Notice David. David said, what is to be done for the man who defeats this giant? He didn't just say, what happens if I go out there? See, that's the difference in how many of us see ourselves and how David saw himself. He didn't say, what happens if I volunteer and go face it? No. He said, what happens to the man who goes out and defeats this giant? David didn't see him as, 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 as five, foot, what, five foot nothing and too young and unqualified and not even a soldier. He saw himself, get this, as a defender of what God had told him. I'm a defender of what God told me. I have to defend God's word that he's spoken over my life. Because if I defend what God has spoken over my life, I'm not by myself. Because they're not offending me. They're offending God. Come on now. When people talk about what's on your life, we talked about last last week what's on you. When they talk about the favor that's on your life, they're not talking about you. They're talking about what God put on you. So when they criticize what's on you, they're not criticizing you. They're criticizing God because God is the one who put it on you. This fight is not with me. It's like Hezekiah when, when, this, when, when they came and brought him the letter and said, who is the God that's going to deliver you? He said, all the other kings have bowed down to us. All the other kings, their gods, weren't able to overcome us. But when the Assyrians came to Hezekiah, Hezekiah took the letter that they gave him and he laid it down at the altar. He laid it at the altar. He said, because, Lord, this isn't my problem. This is your problem. He said, they came at me. They came at me, but they came for you. I want you to get that. They came at me, but they came for you. It's like this. Somebody, you answer the door at somebody else's house, and it's the police. You're the one confronting them, but they didn't come. They came at you, but they came for somebody else. Same thing with here, with God. They came at you, but they came for God. They came for what God told you. They came for what God put on you. They came for the favor that God has put upon your life. So Hezekiah lays down the letter at the altar of God and says, Lord, you've got mail. <laughs> I need you to open this. It's not for me. I might be attached, but it's for you. This belongs to you. So he turns it over to God and he, you know what? The, and the songwriter says, uh, the problem that I had, I just couldn't seem to solve. I prayed and I prayed, but I, I just got deeper involved, but I turned it over to Jesus. Somebody needs to turn it over in here. Somebody say it's time for a turnover. 
It's time for a turnover. It's time to turn that situation over to God. I, I prayed. I'm tired of praying. I wish somebody would whip me right now. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm tired of praying. I'm tired of crying. I'm tired of fasting. I'm tired of consecrating. I'm tired of worrying about it when I wake up in the morning. But I'm, it's time to turn that thing over to God. I'm going to stop worrying about it. I'm going to stop crying about it. I'm going to stop losing sleep about it. Some of you get so bad, you know, I'm going I'm to stop dreaming about it. Come on in here. I'm going to stop taking medication about it. I'm going lo- to stop worrying my friends about it. I'm going to stop making this the topic of all of my conversations. Have you ever gotten to the point that you had a problem that you just got tired of talking about it? wish I had some real folks in here. You just got tired of talking about it. I got tired of getting counseling for it. I got tired of sharing it with my friends. I got tired of praying about it. I got tired of this thing even being on my lips and my thoughts in my mind, but I'm going to turn it over to Jesus. He said, I'm going to stop worrying about it. He said, I gave it to the Lord. And he said, and he worked it out. Somebody say he worked it out. He worked it out. I'm believing God that whatever is on me right now, whatever I'm dealing with right now, whatever has has me frustrated right now, it does not belong to me, but it belongs to God. So it's time to turn it over to him. That's what David said. David said, "You you didn't insult me. He said, you didn't call me short. You didn't call me a shepherd boy. He said, you didn't talk about my appearance. You didn't talk about my looks. You didn't talk about my family. But he said, the reason I'm going to take issue with you is because you decided to talk about my God. And he said, I got to stop you right there. He said, I may would have allowed you to talk about me. I may would have allowed you to talk about my daddy. I may would have stopped if you talked about my mama. But because you had the audacity to open your mouth and defile my God, he said, we have to fight now. He said, let me get my slingshot. He said, I got a slingshot with me. If you give me a few minutes, I'll find a few stones over here in the creek. King Saul said, David, you need my armor. David said, no, the armor is too heavy. He said, I won't need it. He said, David, you need my sword. David said, the sword is too heavy. He said, I don't need it. But he said, everything I need is right here in my pocket. Everything I need, God already gave it to me. Everything I need, God already put it in my mind. So David leans over to the creek. He pulls out five stones. Why did he pull out five stones? I'll get to that in a minute. But he pulls out five stones. He loads up the slingshot. Goliath says to him, he said, who's this little boy that you sent out to me with his little sticks that are only good enough for dogs to play with? Who's this little boy that you're coming against me with? 
with. He said, I'm going to defeat this boy. He said, I'm going to feed him to the dogs. But David said, I'm not stepping back. But the word declares that David stepped forward. He said, I don't run from fights. I didn't run from the light. I didn't run from the bad. And because God is with me, I don't have to run from you. And I came to tell somebody, whatever you're facing right now, you don't have to run. Resist the devil and he will flee. I don't have to run. But devil, you better run. Devil, you got to go because I'm not by myself, but the Lord is with me. Somebody say, the Lord is with me. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, the Lord. Somebody say, the Lord. The Lord is with me. But this is, let me tell you this. David got five stones. He said, I'm going to need one for Goliath. So he swips out the stone. He hits Goliath right in the middle of his arm. And Goliath falls down dead. But Goliath, but he had four more stones. Why did he have four more stones? The reason I believe he had four more stones, Brother Kenneth, he said, because after I kill him, if anybody else wants some, If any of the rest of you want some of this, I got a stone for you. And I came to tell the devil, I got one stone for Monday. I got another stone for Tuesday. Come for me on Wednesday. I got a stone for you. I got a stone for every day of this work week. So don't start. Don't try me. God gave me everything I need. And somebody say, I Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word on this morning to encourage us on how we need to view ourselves. It's not how other people see us, but it's important that we understand how to see ourselves. And Lord, when we look in the mirror, we don't have to say I, but we can say we, because Lord, you're always with us. And Lord, we trust you. So that's why we can declare in the fourth quarter of this year that we still, we got this. It's not over. It's not concluded. But Lord, we have this with the help of our Father. Lord, if there's someone out there today, if you are not saved, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Lift those hands and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I have fallen short of your glory. And I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry for all of my sin. Please forgive me. Lord, I need you to wash my heart. Wash my mind. Wash me all over, Lord. 
Create within me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Lord, I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ was crucified. He died and was buried, but rose again with all power in his hand. And today I claim him as my savior and my Lord. Jesus, come into my heart and I'll make you my savior and my Lord. Come on, put those hands together and give God some praise. You said that prayer by faith. You said it with commitment in your heart that you are saved, you are saved, you are saved. I want to remind you that we, for those of you who are watching us by stream, if you have something set aside, we're about to partake in communion. For those of you in the sanctuary, you should have already received your communion cups. We're going to say God's prayer over our communion and we're going to partake of our communion together. For those of you who are watching by stream, if you're watching by stream, if you have something set aside that you can partake together with us as we remember God's body and his sacrifice for each and every one of us. And we thank him for his body and his blood which he shed for us on Calvary. If you're ready to partake, I deliver unto you that which was also spoken unto me. The Jesus, the same night that he was betrayed, took bread as I now do. And when he had break it, he said, take eat. This is my body, which was broken for you at Calvary. As often as you do so, you do so in remembrance of me. In like manner, he took also the cup. Here at Bright Temple, we hold the cup above our head so that we're completely covered by the blood. He said, this is the blood that I shed for you on Calvary. Drink ye all of it. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show remembrance of me until I shall come again. And the word says they sang and went out into the Mount of Olives. For each of you who've joined us this morning, we say, God bless you. We thank God for you. We appreciate you being with us and we pray that God's blessing be over you and your life until we shall see you again. Be blessed is our prayer. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Jeremiah 3 and 15. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings the good news. Isaiah 52 and 7. Bright Temple coming soon. Our pastor and First Family Love Day, Sunday, November the 15th at 10 a.m. at Bright Temple. Come help us celebrate our pastor and First Family with an offering of love, gifts, and monetary contributions. If you decide to come by on Sunday, November the 15th at 10 a.m., please remember to practice social distancing. You can make your monetary contributions by Givelify, Cash App, or by mailing your gift to the church. Please specify your contribution under Pastor Anniversary slash Love Day. Thank you in advance for helping us celebrate our pastor and first family. I hope and pray that each of you were touched and inspired by our service today. If you wish to partner with us, you can do so by Giveify. 
Download the app on Apple Store or Google Play and search for Bright Temple. If you wish to partner with us on Cash App, just look for Bright Temple in the two line. And in the four line, tell us the purpose of your gift. If you would rather mail your gift, you can mail us at Bright Temple, Post Office Box 453, Shelbyville, Tennessee, 37162. Thanks in advance for your generosity, and we pray God's blessings on you and your gift.